Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. All right. So I think all of you guys have a, a notebook. Would you get that out? And I would like for you to, and by the way, you Highlands College students as well, I would love for you when you're studying uh, in these settings, in the small group and for you guys in the college, I would love for you to have a paper Bible. Like, don't, don't look it up on your phone and don't always uh, just use what we put on the screens, but I would love for you to start marking it and kind of engaging with your own Bible, making notes on the side. You'll thank me about 20 years from now uh, when you see all those markings and you kind of know where things are uh, in your Bible. I want to start with a question that's not in your in your notebook, and I just want you to ponder this thought, and here's the question, and I'm calling it today the key question, and the key question is, is what is going to be my approach to God? So let me say it this way. What, what we're doing in this curriculum is really important, and what you guys are doing in the college is really important, and the journey that you're on is really important, like what you're doing, but let me say it this way. How you're doing what you're doing is more important than what you're doing. So your approach to the freedom curriculum is more important than the freedom curriculum itself. Your approach to God, how how you're viewing your journey toward God is very important. And the reason why I say that is, is that I really believe that Christianity has a branding problem of sorts. In fact, there are two different ways that people approach God. and, And by and large, people are approaching God the wrong way, which is why most people don't really enjoy anything about Christianity or God. They they actually uh, see it as something that is, man, I just need to endure it versus something that I actually enjoy. Some of you guys have heard this story. Years ago, I was uh, participating in our ARC conference that we have. And in this particular year, uh, it was in Baton Rouge. And after the ARC conference, instead of taking a flight from Baton Rouge to Atlanta and then Atlanta to Birmingham, I decided to drive down to uh, New Orleans and there was, and this flight doesn't exist anymore. I wish, I sure wish it would come back. But Southwest used to have a flight, a direct flight from New Orleans to Birmingham. It was just a short, I mean, literally by the time you reached altitude, you come right back down, you're, you're home. And so it was actually quicker for me to drive 40 minutes down to New Orleans and catch that single flight. So I did that. And, and if you know anything about Southwest, um, it's, it's an interesting experience because, you know, you line up and, and then when you, even when you get on the plane, you don't have a seat assignment. You get to choose whatever seat. <laughs> Uh, you want. So there's, you always going to end up with this mystery person sitting next to you, you know, you know, and so I'd plopped on and, and, and I'm a window seat guy. So I actually took the first window seat that I saw on, on, on this side of the plane. And when I got in there, I'm kind of nuzzled all up. And, and of course, you know, people are still boarding. And, and about that time, this girl comes on the plane, just, woo, woo, I mean, and y'all know where she'd been, Bourbon Street, right, everybody? I mean, and she was, still had a little bit of Bourbon Street still with her, I think. And anyway, so she, she came around, and she was like, high five, high five, you know, everybody down the row. And I thought, oh, my God. And so my, my prayer life started to improve about that point. Father, in Jesus' name, don't let her sit plop right there next to me. You know, sure, sure enough, she plopped right down and, 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 and there. And so anyway, uh, we didn't have much discussion right off the bat. She was just still just kind of singing and everything. Plane takes off, you know, the, the little refreshment cart comes down, comes down the center of the aisle and she gets a drink. And then about the time she got the drink, she looked over at me and she said, you know, so what do you do for a living? And, you know, of course, when you get asked that question, uh, when you're a pastor, you got to decide if you're going to lie or not, you know? And so I said, uh, I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she says, well, duh, we're all passengers. I said, no, 
like not a passenger, a pastor, like of a church. And she goes, oh, she goes, I don't like Christians. And I knew the kind of Christianity she had been exposed to. So I decided to play along. And I said, me too, girl, I'm with you. And it shocked her. She turns to me and says, what do you mean? You, you got to like them. You, you know, you're a, you're a pastor. I said, no, I know the kind you probably were raised around and the brand of Christianity that you were exposed to. And, and, and I, I, was, I didn't like it so much myself that I had to go start my own church. I said it like that. You know? And I was really just trying to engage her in conversation to get, you know, put a little hook out there. And I had her. I had her. She was thinking. She goes, I don't understand. I said, well, and, I, and like I said to you, I said, Christianity has a branding problem. I said, there are, there are two different, go back to our word here, there are two different approaches to God that people have. I said, and unfortunately, you've been exposed to the wrong approach. You've been exposed to an approach that looks right, but it's not right. She goes, well, what do you, what do you mean? I said, well, really, Christianity is not about a denomination or a religion or an organization. It's about a relationship with God, knowing him, not all about just being a part of an organization or a religion. And I had her, she was thinking it. You could see her really processing these thoughts. And then that drink in her hand, she put it over in my face. I think she actually spilled a little on me, which I had explained when I got home. Anyway, but, uh, but, but she, she said, well, what do you think your God thinks about this? And to prove my point, I said, I don't think God cares about that at all. I think he cares about you. And if he could get you, maybe he'd talk to you about that later. And she goes, I've never heard that before in my life. I said, well, it's in the Bible. And, you know, and so I kind of, yeah. And I said, that's the problem is that sometimes the things that we think we know about God aren't even in the Bible. They are traditions and processes. And to go back to my word, they are approaches to God that are, it's the wrong brand. It's completely the wrong brand. So here's what I want to say to you. For you Highlands College students, for every one of you guys that are studying this curriculum, the approach is important. How you go about it, the, the, the motivation, what's going on inside of you is critical to the process. Now, this approach came in the form of the second story of the Bible. In fact, you know the first story of the Bible is the story of creation. By the way, that's the first story of your life. You were born. Okay, that's your first story. That's the first story of the Bible. But the second story I want, I want to say to you is, 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 is the second story of your life too. And that is that the second story is you, got to, you have a choice. You have a choice how you're going to approach God and how you're going to become godly and how you're going to do things. And we see it this way. This is in your notes now in Genesis chapter 2. It says, the Lord, that's just the second story of the Bible. The Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. Watch this. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And he also had in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you've ever thought about this story, most, people, most people's recollection of this story is in the children's storybooks where you see Eve and she's, she's naked, but you can't tell she's naked. She's got long hair covering up stuff. You know what I'm saying? And, but there she is kind of over in the bushes with an apple in her hand uh, and a bite taken out of it. Well, first of all, it never says apple at all. The word apple's not in the text. And most people, and like, like what I thought, most people thought, oh, that's just the day they sinned. That's just the day there was, that, 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 that the two choices are God or not God or good things and bad things. And I'm going to live, I'm going to do the best to be a Christian or I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a rebel. That's not what it says. In fact, it says something much different. It says there's two approaches to God. You can do it out of life. Now watch this. Or you can do it out of the knowledge of good and evil. 
So notice that even the, the, this other tree is when you're pursuing good things, but you're doing it out of a knowledge base. That's something that you, it's learned behavior versus a transformation, which is going on internally. And that's critical for you to see. And it goes on to say in verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And he wasn't talking about a physical death. He was talking about a death to your dreams and a death to your marriage and a death to your family. And like when I say that, I mean this approach you can apply in your business and you can apply in your, in your marriage and you can apply with your kids that we create a life-giving, enjoyable environment versus a learned behavior environment. One of the curriculums that we offer here at the church is parenting curriculum. And most people, when they come to a parenting curriculum, what they want is help me make my kids obey. Well, I can do that by getting you duct tape and a chair. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I can, you can force behavior if you want to, but the real goal is not to make them behave. It's to transform the heart. It's a different approach. Now inject the devil. Here, here comes the devil now into the process. This is chapter three, which is by the way, the third story of your life. Okay. And that is you're, you were born, right? And then you get a choice. You're going to approach life, God, religion, whatever you want to call it, Christianity, a certain way. But you're going to make sure the devil's going to make sure you don't choose the right thing. So in chapter three, insert the devil now into the story. And the serpent, the devil, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? Did he really say that? And by the way, that's how, God, that's how the devil always attacks you. He can't really physically attack you. What he can do is put lies into your mind. So anytime we have fallen into the hands of the enemy, it isn't because he forced it. It's because we believed it. It's a big, it's, it's, it's important for you to see that. It goes on to say, the woman said, well, let me tell you what God said. God said, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God, you know, devil, God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you know, you're going to die. And then the devil comes back with another lie. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. Now watch this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Watch this. And you will be like God. Now what I want to point out in this part of the story is, is that Satan's attempt to derail your life isn't always to get you to do bad things. In this particular case, he's actually appealing to her desire to be godly. He says, oh, come follow me and you'll be more like God. And I say that to say that even in church, we can follow the wrong approach. Even in our pursuit of God, if we do it the wrong way, it's not necessarily the, 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 the way that God intended for our lives. He says, you know, you'll be like God, but you won't have God in you. No, you'll just know good from evil. The story goes on and says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then it goes on to say that the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized that they were naked, which is by the way, always the fruit of which tree you're in, which approach you've taken is that you'll, you'll see right off the bat, you'll see shame. They realized they'd always been naked, but now they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here's what I want to do. And this is in your notes here. And I would love for you students to write this down as well. I want to give you three different looks at these two trees. 
I want to give you three ways to see it because the reason why I think it takes three different ways to see this one thing is because that they, they can be so close sometimes. And you think you're in the right tree, but you're actually in the wrong tree. So I want to show you three different looks at it, three different characteristics of these two different trees. And let's make sure that as we approach freedom, as we approach our marriages, as we approach student life or wherever you are, our pursuit of God, that we're doing it with the right approach. Here's the first one. Jot this down if you're taking notes in your, in your books. That the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, do more. That's how you get to God. That needs to be your approach. Do more. Now, I actually believed this when growing up. Actually, actually, I had what I call a Wizard of Oz kind of view of God. Um, if you know the Wizard of Oz story, uh, Oz can grant you great things. He's, he's Oz the great and powerful, right? And then finally, Dorothy and, and her three companions get this audience with Oz. And he's, and he's just, of course, he's fuming mad, red smoke, green face. And the first thing that he says is, what do you want? You know, he's screaming at her and all that's going on, right? And she says, I just want to go home. I want to get to Kansas. And he says, fine, that can happen if you'll go perform for me. If you'll go get the broom from the wicked witch of the West. And some people think of God that way, that God will grant you wonderful things, but they see God as a performance-based God. That, that, that's the wrong approach. And if you drink or eat from that tree, you will die. If you try to perform for God and think that if I'll just do more, if I'll just keep doing more for God and it'll all work out, then you will surely die. What we've got to realize is the very opposite of that. The tree of life says, receive the fact that Jesus has already done it. He's done it. You, the, the, the realization of that brings so much life to you that realize that everything that needed to be done to get to God has been done. Can I hear a good amen, Highlands College? I mean, that's, that's, that's just so good for you to realize that, that you can't do more to get to God. You can't do that. Um, when I first got saved, I, I genuinely got saved. I think I really like to think that I got saved and immediately started living my life through this tree of life kind of approach, just really enjoyed the Lord. And it was all a delight for me. And I just loved every part of the experience. But one of the first teachings that I got exposed to was a prayer teaching. And it's, what's interesting is it's kind of, I was, I kind of swung from both trees, um, as, as I was, um, learning this curriculum, this prayer curriculum, this was 30 something years ago now. And, um, but one of the tenets of this prayer curriculum, in fact, the title of it was, could you not tarry with me one hour? And I, I was consuming this prayer curriculum because I thought, my God, this would be so awesome to spend an hour with God. And so I was just enjoying it out of the, kind of out of the tree of life. But then it turned into, man, if I don't get to an hour, it doesn't count. And I started actually, my prayer went from this enjoying God aspect to what time is it? And from that moment, I swung over back into this other tree. That's why we can never let that happen. Jesus said it this way in John. He says, you guys that are in the wrong tree, what you're doing is you're, you're studying the Bible. You're reading it a lot. And the Pharisees, by the way, that he was talking to here, knew the Bible extremely well. But he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you, you possess eternal life. In other words, that the amount of your reading is what's making you godly. 
So because I read more chapters than you do, or I know the Bible better than you do, and there are people who will kind of, they'll size you up like, man, your, your theology is not as good as my theology, and they think that that's actually important. Jesus says, no, you've got the wrong tree. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. He says the goal wasn't how many chapters, but finding Jesus in the chapters. It's all about, it's a completely different approach. Here's another one, jot it down. Just giving you the two different kind of approaches uh, to these two different trees, giving you characteristics. And the next one is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, keep trying to get God's approval. So just keep trying. Now this has to have the premise that God currently doesn't like you very much. (laughs) So you have to earn his favor once again, that he's really kind of, it's the viewpoint that honestly too many people and even Christians have, and that is God, that God is inherently mad. He's just a mad God and he's really upset and he just hates the sin of the world and blah, 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 blah. You know, they see God that way. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, my first assignment in ministry for the first 11 years was uh, youth, youth work. And back in those days, you didn't have social media and ways to, to, to talk to people and talk about Jesus with people. You had to use actual paper for stuff. And we had, we had tracks, they called them. They were just little paper booklets, 10, 12, 14 pages or so. And they were, some of the most popular were written by a guy named Jack Chick. So they called them Chick Tracks. And these Chick Tracks were, they were actually spectacular. They were wonderful tools. The only beef I ever had with these Chick Tracks is that in the cartoon illustrations of God, they made God, every picture of God was, he was kind of sitting in that Abraham Lincoln kind of chair, just a big old God, you know, and there was light beaming, but they just drew a circle for his face. There was just, he was faceless, which means he has no emotion. And then, then when they showed people, they were like up next to the toenail of this, of this God. They were just, you know, little ants and and it, and it kind of put in people's minds that God is just, you know, he's sitting there in that chair and he's got a little club and if you don't behave yourself, he's going to bop you on the head, you know. You've got to be really careful. Listen to me, everybody. You've got to be really careful about what your current view of God is. Let me say it this way. Too many people have the wrong view of God. And your view of God will determine what your relationship with God is going to look like. So if you see him as harsh, you're going to approach him as a harsh God. That, that, again, the tree of the knowledge good, good and evil says is that God is, you know, that, we're, that we gotta, we've got to get God's approval because he's really just, he's just, he's just mad. Well, that's not true. The tree of life says the opposite. Receive the fact that he already loves you. He already loves you. And I want to take it one step further. He even loves you on the day where we're we're the biggest knucklehead in the world. On our worst day, he still loves uh, loves us. Now, he doesn't love what we do, but he loves us just the same. My kids, I have five kids, and, and, and my kids obviously didn't always behave themselves. In fact, some of them messed up royally, can I say, all right? They really did. I mean, there were some pretty exciting days in this thing called parenting, and I'm glad for the most part that that stage is over, praise the Lord. Anyway, but uh, it, was, it was a little difficult at times. But it, what was interesting to me looking back now is that on the days where they were actually at their worst and they had made the biggest mistakes and where they really 
I mean, they were the knucklehead of all knuckleheads. You know what I'm saying? It's like my heart, my love for them actually grew bigger during those times and realized, in fact, one of the the worst events of their lives, I don't have the liberty to tell you the details of it yet. There will be a day I'll tell this story, you know, but I'm trying to protect the guilty right now. Anyway, but, uh, but, but, but on one of the days where they really messed up royally, I just walked up and I said, you've never needed me more than you need me right now. And I'll, I'll love you, and I'm going to stick with you, and I'm going to get you through this. This is why you have a daddy. If, 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 you didn't, if, you know, if, you, if God intended for you to be on your own this way, you, know, you could handle it yourself. But you needed me, and this, you didn't need me for the good days. You needed me for this day. And can I tell you, that's how God sees you. And that's why the Bible, by the way, a little trivia for you guys, my favorite verse. My favorite verse right here. Did you want to ask me what Pastor Chris's favorite verse in the Bible is? You're looking at it. That God demonstrates his own Love, he demonstrates love, not while you're going to church, not while you're reading your Bible, not while you're in worship. God demonstrates his love while you're a sinner. So while, while, while they were nailing him, he was loving them. While they were spitting on him, he was loving them. Are y'all hearing me, everybody? And you have to have that. If you don't have that view of God, your approach is going to be wrong and your journey is going to be wrong. Your journey is going to be miserable if you don't have the right approach. You have to have this tree of life approach. Here's the third one. And that is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, obey, obey out of duty. So they see now the Bible as a list of rules, right? (laughs) Here they are. And by the way, there's a lot of rules in there. Hey man, serve, forgive, love, be kind, give. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there it wants you to do, right? But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, do it because God said it. But the tree of life says a completely opposite thing. And that is, I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. I am obeying now out of delight. It's, it's a joy for me to do this. One of my pet peeves uh, as, a, as a pastor, and I know this is not the view of any of you students who aspire to, to lead churches and be involved in ministry is, one of my pet peeves is when preachers say, yeah, 25 years ago, I surrendered to the call of the ministry. You know, like I surrendered to it. I didn't want to do it, but I did. And now it's just a miserable life, but I'm serving God. Like, my God, that, that, that's, I can't, it bugs the dog out of me, actually. Because I can't believe I get to do this. Are y'all listening to me? In fact, I put on the stage, and it's on this stage at both sides. You students could come look at it. And I've installed it at all campuses on both sides, every place, a little sign. This is the last thing I see before I come on the stage. It's the last thing I saw before I came and taught this lesson. It's a privilege to be on this stage. Thank you, God, for choosing me. I cannot believe I get to do this. That's the tree of life. First John talks about it. It says it this way. This is love for God. So this is what real love for God looks like, and that is to obey his commands. Aha, I told you. No, but let it watch what it says next. And his commands are not a burden to us. They're not burdensome. They're not hard to do, which by the way, let me say to you, they are hard to do if you're eating out of the other tree. But in the tree of life, they're no longer even a burden like you want to do it. So he who has the son has life, and he who does not have the son does not have life. And I've highlighted those words because those two words in the Greek, it's the Greek word echo. 
And it means to take on, to possess, to, uh, to allow it to enter into your heart and into your life. For the person who's allowed, it, it's a privilege, God, to be on this stage. All of a sudden, it's not hard to do anymore because I haven't surrendered to something I didn't want to do. It's not a duty. It's the delight of my life. So how do we do it? Let me give you four things really quickly, four ways you can live out this way. And these are literally choices and approaches that we have to make literally all the time. And here's the first one, and that is fall in love with Jesus. You got to fall in love with Jesus. And I know that's not always as easy as I just said it. I, to me, honestly, it is. But I had a guy challenge me just recently. He came up to me and said, you know what? You, you, you say fall in love with God like it's just easy to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. How, how do I fall in love with him? And again, once again, he just doesn't know two things. He doesn't know who he is and what he's done. And if you just stopped for a moment and thought about who he is and get a right view of God instead of this negative view of God, you, if you really knew how generous and kind and loving that if God had a refrigerator, your picture's on it, and he's over there looking at it all the time. Like if you had that kind of view of God, if you knew who he was, and if you know what he's done, he's done for you, that he allowed his son to die in your place. And by the way, nobody's in line to do that for me. You know, last time I checked, I, don't, I didn't see a line of people waiting to pay for my sins. Only God has done that for me. Amen, everybody? And so we fall in love with him for who he is and for what he's done. And honestly, probably the greatest single scriptural revelation I've ever received in my life. I know that's a big statement, but if there's any verse that has come alive as revelation more than any other, it's the one I'm getting ready to share with you. It's in John chapter 14. And it says this, Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And in, and in this one sentence, you see the two trees. And for years, I read this sentence out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do, here's how it reads. If you love me, you'll do what I told you to do. If you love me, you'll prove to me. Don't, don't even start to tell me you love me if you're not obeying what I command. And that's how I read it. That's not what the verse says. The verse says something much different. Out of the tree of life, it says this. If you'll fall in love with me, you'll obey what I command. It'll, it'll, it'll happen automatically if you'll just love me. And I always tell people, this comma right there separates the two trees. And which side of the comma are you living in? Are you living in the, I'm just focused on falling in love. And when I fall in love, I, I end up doing, I'm like, it's, it's easy to do the things in the Bible if you're in love. Or am I trying to obey the Bible? And honestly, the more I do it, the less I even like God. Because man, you sure are demanding God. You, are, you sure have a lot of things in there you want me to do, right? It's because you're not in love anymore. Probably the best way to illustrate that is in my, my marriage relationship course, there's a law. There's, there, God has a law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Be faithful to your wife. Be faithful. Do not, do not do. And you can see, you know, and I could approach my marriage as, well, I'm going to do the best I can just to, you know, not look at other women and, you know, just, I'm going to guess I'll just, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll just try every day, you know, just to, or I could just go ahead and be in love with Tammy. And the more I'm in love with her, honestly, I don't care about any of the other choices. Are y'all listening to me, everybody? But I promise you this, if I did not love Tammy, it wouldn't matter if we were married or not. I would be looking at other women. I would want something else if I wasn't in love. And you would want something else if you weren't in love. Not in your notes, just a great quote. You can fulfill the commands of the Bible better by falling in love with God rather than trying to obey everything the Bible tells you to do. 
All right, here's the second thing. All right, I'm going to give you four little principles to live this out. Second is, is that we're going to serve God through relationships, not rules. So now we're in love, but now we've got to live it out, right? So now you're going through your day and you're going through your life. And you have to make a conscious decision that the reason you're doing something is out of relationship and not out of rules. And by the way, students, this is good for you guys to know, and you guys that are watching this curriculum, this, this, th- th- these two things right here defines the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was purely rules, nothing internal. It was an external law on a written tablet, and you had to go look at it and remind yourself of it. In the New Testament, we have the same laws. People say, well, I don't have to follow the Old Testament anymore because I'm a New Testament kind of person. Sort of true. We still follow the Old Testament, but we don't do it with the same approach. And this time, we're not, we don't have an external law that's reminding us about something and telling us when that we're wrong. No, the Bible says that now the laws are written on our heart. Let me say it this way. I don't have to obey them. I become them. I don't, I don't do it as I want it, right? And that's why Jesus said this about the Old Testament. He said, do not think I have come to abolish the Old Testament. I didn't, I didn't come here to tell y'all don't do it anymore. I'm just telling you, you need to do it a different way. I've, come to, I've not come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. And what he was saying, really, he's talking about himself. If you'll just fall in love with me, you'll realize that, that all of those things written in there are something that you actually want to do. And one of the best ways for people to understand it is this quote. And again, not in your notes. I just wanted to give you a little extra. And that is that when you're tempted... It really reveals more about your relationship with God than it does your self-control. So when, next time you have temptation, and we all do, realize that it probably exposes more about how close you are to God rather than how disciplined you are. And that's why I want you to approach God through a relationship. So, so in those moments where you feel weak and tempted, strengthen your relationship before you try to be more disciplined. All right? We're going to approach God through relationships not rules. Here's the third thing. And that is that we're going to respond to all sin. And what I mean by all sin is your sin and, and, and my own sin, right? We're going to respond to it with life. So now you now, now we're walking through life and we're approaching through relationship, not rules, and we're in love with Jesus, but we are going to mess up from time to time, right? That's going to happen. So when it happens, again, you got a choice of which tree you're going to be in. <laughs> Okay, and in, and in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you mess up, you'll feel condemned. That's how you'll know you're in the wrong tree. You'll feel condemned. But in the, in the tree of life, you'll feel convicted. God will still say, hey, 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 you know. But, you won't, you, but, but conviction, let me tell you the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation says you messed up and you're a bum. Can't I believe you did that? Conviction says, hey, you messed up and here's the way out. It's just a different approach to the exact same thing. And by the way, that's real easy for us to receive personally. It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder when somebody else does it. And the real test of this tree of life principle, listen to me, everybody, is not when you sin, because you'll, you'll readily want to receive uh, you know, freedom for yourself, but it's when somebody else messes up. Are you going to give them that same amount of grace? And that's why the Bible says there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is none. There is none. One of my favorite stories, and I need to wrap this up, but one of my favorite stories of the Bible, is, it may be my favorite New Testament gospel story, 
is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Because I think it, again, once again, shows these two, two things. And if you know the story, uh, this woman was in the act of adultery. The religious leaders caught her, and they bring her to Jesus to test Jesus. And they, and, and they thought they had him, honestly, because, because the law said that she must be stoned. And so if, if Jesus allows her to be stoned, then he kills a woman, right? Or he, he, he approves the killing of a woman. But if he lets her go, he's breaking the law. They thought they had him. So he threw him at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus makes this famous, this beautiful quote. He says, okay, let's follow, let's, let's follow the law. But let him who has no sin be the one to throw the first stone, <laughs> which is a genius response. And of course, the Bible says then he actually stoops down, and the Bible says he starts writing in the dirt. And uh, he actually does it twice. He just starts writing, writing in the dirt. And the Bible doesn't say what he's writing in the dirt, but the Bible does say this, that at, at this, those who heard begin to go one at a time. So I have a theory, by the way, and it may not be true, but I, I have a theory that what he was writing is, uh, was their mistresses. So the religious leaders brought this woman, but I think they had mistresses too, you know? So he went, Sally, and he left. And then, you know, Sarah, like, you know, he left. So I don't know. That's my, that's my theory. But I, they, let, they went away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus straightened her up and asked her, woman, where are your accusers? Where are they? And she goes, she goes has, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. There's no one here to condemn me. And watch this. You need to see this. Neither do I condemn you. He gave her grace. But he also said, go and leave your life of sin. He gave her truth. He gave her both grace and truth. Here, here let me give you the, the, not in your notes, but just so, this is so good not to tell you. Grace is, neither do I condemn you, but truth says, go now and leave your life of sin. And that's how we approach ourselves. Listen to me. Because the hyper teaching of this, this thought is, oh, well, then God doesn't care what I do. Oh, yes, he does. He just extends to you grace. And he extends to you no condemnation. But he also extends to you truth that says, hey, 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 let's, let's take some different steps now. And that's how we need to approach Christianity for ourselves. And it's also how we need to treat others as well. Here's the last one I'm going to pray for you guys. And that is you have to guard your heart from going back. I'm convinced that those two trees exist for us right now in a lot of areas. And I'm convinced there's a, there's a vine right there between them. And we can swing uh, from one tree to the next. I, I can tell when I'm kind of in a tree of the knowledge, good and evil kind of a day. And I can tell when I'm in a kind of a tree of a life kind of a day. And you have to constantly guard our hearts from going back. So we close with this question. What am I going to do? What am I, what am I going to do to find freedom? What am, what, what am I going to do to pursue God? What am I going to do to be godly? What's going to be my, we're back to the same question. What is going to be my approach? And here's the answer. In a, in, a, in a word is, you have to make a choice all the time. So we'll close with this verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you that I have set before you life and death. And by the way, every one of you who are studying this curriculum, I say that same thing to you. We are gonna set before you a journey with two different approaches. Uh, one that will produce life and freedom and wonderful results. And one, if you go on down with the wrong tree, will produce death, blessing and curses, and it's your job to make a choice. Now choose life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together in this curriculum. 
Lord, I pray for every participant that you would bless them in a mighty way. God, I thank you for the 12-week journey and for the retreat, the, the conference at the end where we, we, we not only had the education, but we had the experience of our lives being changed. Lord, I pray, God, that you would bless them among, along every step of the journey. Let their lives never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.